0: Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I am your host, Charles Hamaker, here with you in the Black Media Matters studio here on, uh, again, another day where the weather is back and forth. I came downtown not knowing if it was going to be cold or not. Uh, I digress. We get downtown, and it's it's fine. It's fine. So, not so fine as we jump right into the show here. Um, the Seattle Mariners, the Mariners continue to struggle offensively. I mean, this is a tale that we've, again, been talking about for about three years here Four, if you want to include the covid year in 2020 with a shortened season and no fans in the stands we'll get right into it the mariners headed out on a six game road trip over uh in the al east uh tough tough division there where just about every team is above 500 you've got the best team in baseball in the race who come to town later this week which doesn't make things easier um the Yankees, of course, who pretty handily took care of our Mariners last time they were here uh, just a few weeks ago. And the Orioles, who uh, who the Mariners battled for wildcard positioning last year, um, added former Mariner Adam Frazier at second base. They uh, have some young and incredible talent. So it's safe to say the road trip wasn't going to be an easy one by any way that you slice it. So we go into it the first three games. Um here in new york uh starting on june 20th at the yankees a 1-3 loss our player of the game left fielder jared Kelnick. uh kalnick drives in the only run that the mariners score that day with an rbi triple one hit one rbi and one walk on the day uh you know i mean nothing short here to keep this yankees lineup that is without aaron judge um who might be excuse me out for the remainder of the season unclear at the moment um to keep them to three runs is fine, but again, to only put up one run is unacceptable in any sort of means there. Uh, game two, January, January, oops, we're going way back in time, June 21st at the Yankees, a two to four loss. So the Mariners lose the series there. Uh, Seattle, you know, it's, it's two to four, so, you know, two runs looks closer. This was a not as close game as it looks. Uh, the Mariners really weren't able to put anything together until late, which includes our player of the game pinch hitter to then second baseman Dylan Moore. Demo one hit, one run, one RBI. His first hit at the big league level this year is a pinch hit homer. It's the first pinch hit homer since Cal Raleigh's drought busting homer against the Athletics uh, in the month of September last year. Uh, you know, just frustrating. Uh, again, nothing really doing there. You're not getting production from anybody, really. Again, while the Yankees are a good team, it's no excuse for you to not put up runs because uh, that's just not how things work. You can't just uh, make excuses like that and be okay with uh, not putting runs up. In the final game of the series, to salvage something, they do put up some offense for production uh, on this 22nd with a 10-2 win. Two players of the game here. First, right fielder Teoscar Hernandez. Teo, who has been heating up in the month of June, largely. Three hits, two runs, and two RBI's, including a solo homer on the day. And our second player of the game, who continues to, to get better uh, after being called up from AA Arkansas with the Travelers, uh, having a rough start against these Yankees. Uh, one of them... Uh, mm, no, I could be wrong. I am wrong. That was Bryce Miller. I apologize. Another young hitter uh, pitcher that was called up from A this year. Um, Brian Wu, Brian Wu, one uh, five and uh, two thirds innings pitched, only two hits given up on the day, no runs allowed, three walks, which is an area to work on, but still no runs allowed and only two hits is nothing to, to scoff at, and then five strikeouts, so that's you know nice to salvage that one there. The ten runs is is exciting, sure, but. Uh, at the end of the day, you, you, you needed more in the first two games to make this competitive and not have to salvage that third game. We go over here to Baltimore, uh, where you know the Orioles have really been able to turn things up this year. Um, June twenty third at the Orioles to begin that series, a thirteen to one win. So back to back games there, where the Mariners really showed some offensive potential, some good competitive at bats. You know, knock the starter out of the game early, really get to Baltimore's bullpen in the first game of the series, which is what you want to do uh, so that the Orioles don't have as much to rely on in terms of their talented relief arms throughout those next two games. Uh, Two players of the game here. First, (coughs) excuse me, Teoscar Hernandez, once again in right field. Three hits, three runs and two RBIs on the day for Teo. And then number two, you know, with all that offensive production, uh, we have another hitter. Here a third baseman, Eugenio Suarez, three hits, two runs, and three RBIs. So I just talked about it. You know, you knock the starter out early, you get to the bullpen in game one. Uh, you've got these back-to-back games against the Yankees, and then this first game uh, against the Orioles. You think, hey, let's carry over that production, see if we can string these wins together, get over 500, get to 500, and then, you know, continue and stack on that. Not the case. Uh, June 24th at the Orioles was a 4-6 to six loss. Uh, Our player of the game, number one center fielder, Julio Rodriguez. Julio, uh, three hits, one run, one RBI, and a solo homer. Um... He also robbed a solo shot to keep the deficit at one. Uh, This game did go into extra innings, and it was only really able to go into extra innings because of two things. First would be Julio robbing the homer, uh, and I believe the seventh inning, to keep the deficit at one. And then because of our second player of the game here, designated hitter Mike Ford. Fordo, two hits, two runs, two RBIs, two solo homers for Mike Ford the second of the day coming on a solo shot in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs, which tied the game at four uh, against the Orioles' best relief pitcher who had not given up a home run in his home ballpark this year. Uh, and He'd only given up two homers uh, at all uh, in the season to that point. This game would go into extra innings. The Mariners would fail to do anything offensively, and the Orioles would hit a two-run walk-off homer uh, to seal the deal on this one. Very frustrating to you know, be able to sort of control your destiny on that game uh, and not really do anything about it. So you say, hey, let's move on here to game three. It sets up the rubber match. As long as you can win series, that's a big deal. Eh, not so much. Uh, June 25th at the Orioles to wrap up that series, a 2-3 to three loss. Our player of the game catcher Cal Raleigh, one hit, one run and two RBIs for Raleigh. A two-run homer early in the game lands on Utah Street. Now, if you don't know, it doesn't. It's not spelled like the state of Utah either. It's E U T A W, Utah Street. Utah Street is a street uh, behind right field in Baltimore where. You know, Homer. it's very hard to hit a homer out there. And if you do, uh, the Orioles will mark the spot and put a little plaque there. Uh, Only two Mariners have done it before Raleigh. Sam Haggerty last year, and then Ken Griffey Jr. uh, Everybody knows the kid prior to that. So Raleigh joins that. That's early in the game, right? So it's a two-run homer early in the game. Get a little two-run lead. Uh, And then outside of that, the Mariners only got two. The Mariners did not hit. Uh, you know, they had three hits in total. They had three hits in total uh, in that game. So just a really, really frustrating way to go. The offensive inconsistencies continue there. Before we really jump into that, we'll look here at our Player of the Week. Our Player of the Week, uh, Cal Raleigh. Now, I know I mentioned Tay uh in those two games, but Cal has been far and away the best player over the course of the past seven games. Nine hits, six runs, two homers four RBIs for a 346 batting average, a 346 on on-base percentage, um, and a 577 slugging percentage. Obviously, as I mentioned, becoming the third manner to hit a homer onto Utah Street. Now, I don't need to come on here and, and repeat the same issues because it is the same issues here. Now, you know, at some parts in the season, you could say, hey, it's only these players in the lineup, the, the bottom three, or this player's having a slump, or these guys. No. If we, we look at it here, we look at all of the players who are getting consistent playing time, all of the standard fielders, whether it be, you know, I know Cal splits some time with Tom Murphy at behind the dish, but it's mostly Cal who gets the plate appearances. We'll just look <coughs> excuse me at some of the batting average over the course of the past seven games for the Mariners. Tiosker Hernandez and Julio Rodriguez are both at a 214 batting average. Jared Kelnick has struggled over the course of June with a 160 batting average. Ty France, over the past seven games, you know, a guy that's a pure hitter. The best of the ones so far with a 222 batting average. Eugenio Suarez struggled most of the season, uh, 259 batting average. So, you know, Gino's being able to find some ground there. J.P. Crawford, who is a major positive point at the plate. Uh, for the Mariners for the good amount of the year uh a 167 batting average mike ford who yes that big homer was clutch and and his rate chart's very funny because mike only has like eight hits on the day uh six of them are homers two of them are singles uh, so that's that's fine his his Batting average on the season is not great at 174. His, his batting average over the past seven games, he's only got 19 plate appearances um, or at-bats, pardon me, is 105. So he's a designated hitter. Yes, it's nice to have the tanks that he's hitting, but I'd like to get more out of that. AJ Pollock, a guy who's been brought in to hit, basically be a designated hitter, give Jared Kalnick's uh, uh a day off in left field here and there, or when uh, Teoscar gets the day off in right field and they put him at DH, they send Jared over to right, put Pollock in left. Pollock over the past seven games, again, 13 uh, at bats, not a lot to work off of, a 154 batting average, but in general, uh, similar to Ford, 159 batting average. Um, and then we go to Colton Wong. Like Colton's struggled, yes, uh, over the course of the year. I know that. Uh, 190 batting average. So Gino, the best out of those over the past seven games with 259 and Cal in general, the best with a 360, 346. Pardon me. This simply just won't get it done. And at this point in the season, there's not much you can do. There's not much you can do with the current farm system that the Mariners have in terms of a trade. Uh, June 27th. Which is tomorrow was when the Mariners made the trade to acquire Carlos Santana, who helped them win a lot of games in June and July, and brought great, great clubhouse presence to the Mariners. Uh, will the Mariners be able to complete a trade to help them turn things around? Will the Mariners be able to turn things around in general? Is the major question at this point in time? Now, uh, you know they aren't exactly way far out of a wild card spot, which. I hate having to talk about wild card spots at this point of the season because you'd like to be arguably talking about a division. I'd, I think it's safe to say that the division is is out of the the question right now, with the way that the Mariners have been playing, with the way that the Rangers uh, have been playing above them. So if we look over here to the wild card again, this is late June. Uh, we look over here to the wild card. Baltimore, New York, and Toronto hold those top three spots for the wild card. The Mariners are four and a half games out of a wild card spot. That's doable. That is doable. But at the same time, you've got the Astros who are in a lull right now. But we'll get Jordan Alvarez Alvarez back eventually. The Angels here, who who knows what the Angels are gonna do? They outscored the Rockies thirty-two to twelve in their past series and still lost the series to the Rockies. Uh, the Red Sox, who are generally a mess. Um, so again, it is doable. I wouldn't say the wild card is, is not doable, but with the, the inconsistencies that you have at the plate, it's continually frustrating. Uh, I I said it before, I think I said it last week. It might've been just last week. Um, it has to be internal. It has to be internal for the Mariners. And at this point, who's, who's holding these players accountable for this? Who is the one that's going to step up and be the captain of sorts and really, you know, bring this to light and 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 say hey we need to do better because at this point it just looks like we're treading water and not even that drowning a little bit treading water and drowning here and there it's just not acceptable and it's frustrating you know you look at the additions oscar hernandez has been playing I, i talked about it last week again he was our player of the week last week um his his month of june has been good his month of june has been good but you look at it. Colton Wong had a decent road trip. You know, he had a homer in New York, which was nice to see. It had some quality plate appearances. But Pollock unsuccessful. Cooper Hummel is is in AAA and hasn't really done much to warrant bring being brought back up. Uh, Tommy Listella was DFA'd early into the season. So there's a lot of debate on whether this falls on Jerry Depoto or John Stanton. That's a tough question to answer because we don't really know what was you know, uh, how much money was made available to sign free agents. Uh, if free agents were interested in coming here to Seattle due to it, not being a hitters ballpark, it's very tough. It is very tough because there's more than goes into it than just a yes, no, uh, a one option, two option answer. So again, it has to be internal. It ultimately has to be internal. You could look to bring up a guy like Cade Marlowe, who's had a great last week but ultimately his his slash line in the PCL the Pacific Coast League this year hasn't been too amazing, too eye-popping to take away the at-bats that AJ Pollock's been getting. Uh so there's there's little in terms of call-ups that you can do. There's nobody with the Rainiers that's necessarily lighting things up at the plate. Um <laughs> It, it's just tough. It's tough because it's like you you are trying to solve a problem with very limited resources here, and uh, you're not going to be able to land a big bat in in a trade. And I don't think the Mariners want to s- get a stopgap guy because the way that Jerry Dipoto has said trades work is they want to get guys who have term for the future. You know, they were able to extend Luis Castillo uh, when they acquired him last year. I don't think they're going to be willing to take a guy who's got half a year uh, and, and, and give away some future assets for that. So at the end of the day, this is a tough situation that the Mariners are in. Ultimately, can they do it? I think it's possible. I entirely think it's possible, but with the sort of pitching that you're squandering and the fact that you've got so many hitters who, when I say so many, that's, that's already a problem. You've got so many hitters who are just not doing well, uh, it's not a good sign, and you don't have a lot of uh, a lot of prospect value in your farm system right now that you're going to be able to flip for a bat. Um, you know. So I, I did get a thing over the course of the last homestand where one of the pitchers for, I believe it was the Marlins, uh, I think it was Yuri, Yuri Perez, um, had a great game. And someone goes, oh, well, he's pitching well. You shouldn't blame the hitters. It doesn't matter. If I sit here and we go, oh, he pitched well. Um, for all the games that sure an, an opposing pitcher pitch well i mean it's just that's just not how sports work you can't tip your cap all the time yes when a guy has a good outing and it's just simply great sure but the mariners ultimately have not gained that sort of benefit of the doubt uh, over the course of this year they've not been a good hitting team they've not could have been a good hitting team again over the past 3 seasons um So, again, it has to be internal. Obviously, with the summer months coming in here, uh, the ball will have a little more carry. But, and and Scott Service has talked about this. We'll probably talk about this today when we go down to the ballpark. Uh, Getting those competitive at bats is big, not swinging, not chasing, uh, being smarter, knowing, trying to keep the line moving. Um, And outside of the two wins that they had and a little bit in the losses that they blew, Seattle hasn't done that, so it's ultimately on themselves, uh, and they can't really afford to to hope that you know Jerry Dipoto is going to swing some great trade that's going to help change the course of the season for them. So again, I could continue to hammer on the same points, and I did a little bit to to that point, um, but it's it's just going to have to be internal for the Mariners if they want to turn things around. Something that was scary and would have hurt that. excuse me, is um, on the 20th shortstop, JP Crawford uh, left the game early against the Yankees with a right shoulder contusion. Uh, There was an update on that. Um, JP said that x-rays were clean, but he'd get an MRI on the 21st. Um, He could barely lift his right arm after colliding with the Yankees, Harrison Bader. He would be able to play uh, in game two uh, of the Orioles series. There uh, would actually hit a home run in that game. So, Thankfully, that wasn't too bad. I mean, it did hold him out for a few games, but avoided any sort of long-term injury there. Um, In terms of team-related news, uh, you've probably seen it by now, but if not, uh, it was announced that center fielder Julio Rodriguez committed to the home run derby for a second year, um, lost last year to uh, now Padres. Uh, player Juan Soto by one homer in the final round of the Derby, despite hitting 81 homers, which was the most, I believe, most ever uh, in a Derby. Um, he, and this is really last year's Derby was really when Julio star started to take off. Uh, he may not make the all-star roster for the game itself. Um, in terms of percentages, uh, you know, when you want to look at how much of a chance he's got to win it this year in front of his home ballpark, Um his average exit velocity, max exit velocity, and hard hit percentage are all in the 90th percentile plus in all of baseball. So basically those numbers mean Julio does hit the ball very hard. He does, though, have uh 13 homers so far on the current season. So what Mariners make the the, the all-star team, I don't really know. Um it might be. It'll probably be a pitcher. It'll probably be Luis Castillo or or maybe George Kirby gets the nod. Um, but I don't think any of the position players, I mean, none of the position players will be starters. Um, and I don't know if any of them will get in as, as reserves. So we'll see on that. We'll keep you updated on that. Uh, we look ahead here to the current Mariners homestand. They are back. Uh, for six games this week, uh, starting with a three-game set, starts tonight. You can come and join us on the ballpark for as low as $10. All three of these games against Washington, uh, the other Washington, not a state, um, are as low as $10. They're of all value games. Uh, May 26th and 27th uh, against the Nationals are both 6.40 p.m. first pitch times. Uh, and then May twenty eighth versus the Nationals on Wednesday is a matinee game at one ten p.m. Pacific. Uh, the Nationals aren't exactly a great team. Um, it's funny I mentioned uh, the Padres is Juan Soto. Um, his teammate Xander Bogarts um, <laughs> had this quote after the Padres lost a series to the Nationals and said, "We're playing Washington." Uh, in response to some frustration about losing that series, so. Hey, maybe that motivates Washington. Maybe it's uh, showing that the well, the Padres have also generally disappointed this year. But if we look to Washington right now in the NL East, they are 17 games below 500 at a record of 30 and 47. They are on a two-game winning streak, um, but they are 3 and 7 over the course of their past 10 games. So after that, um, on Thursday, the Mariners have a day off. But on Friday, they welcome the best team in all of baseball in the town in the Tampa Bay Rays. That will not be easy. There are some fun promotions in that game. But on top of that, on top of the promotions, you get, you know, a pretty big test for the manners. I know that the road trip with the Yankees and the Orioles was a big test, but this one even more so. You're playing the best team in all of baseball in the Rays who sit at a 54-win, 27-loss record. They're 5-5 five and five over their past 10 games, so not too great. They're on a one-game win streak. Uh, that'll probably change by the time we see them. Um, that game on Friday, the 30th, is a 7-10 start. Then the first on Saturday is a 4-15 p.m. Pacific time start, which is kind of weird. It uh, doesn't really happen too often here in Seattle. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And then July second versus the Rays on Sunday is a normal 110 PM start. So as I said, uh best team in baseball. Uh Nice weekend games here. It'll be busy Saturday in Seattle with the rain and the Sounders both playing that day Uh, and some fun promotions throughout the course of that series as well against the Rays. None of them during the National Series, all of them during the Rays series. Um, So plenty of reason to come and join us down at the ballpark. Move over here to the Storm who they've had a three game homestand. I know I say home and it feels like that's more of a baseball term, but it's, it's what happened with the storm here. They played three games at home with the course of the past week. The first two games, very winnable. Um, And then the last game, they were able to get a win. So one uh, one and two, of course, the past three. We'll get into it. Uh, The first of those three games on June 20th versus the Sun, a 79 to 85 loss. So, yes, a six point loss. Our player of the game guard, Jewel Lloyd, who you can see here in our photo of the game by Brian Saldana, 33 points, two rebounds, four assists, and three steals for Jewel. Um, This is a tough one. I mean, (coughs) excuse me, Connecticut obviously is. Connecticut, at this point in time, had the second most wins in all of the WNBA. Uh, a lot of size on that team. Um, oops, excuse me. And just, you know, Connecticut's been one of the better teams in the league over the course of, the, or in recent memory, at least, um, even though they lost on Quill Jones. Um, Seattle, just some, some mistakes in this game, a big lull in the third quarter, and... The Sun were able to pull away from this one and secure victory. So, tough one there. Just not being able to get more scoring in the third quarter, uh, especially, you know, not not necessarily from Jewel Lloyd. Uh, as Seattle continues to try and find more consistent scoring. Um, and unfortunately, it was a sort of repeat performance uh, in their next game against Indiana Fever on June 22nd. That game, m- more of a point differential, a 68 to 80 loss. Our player of the game guard, Jewel Lloyd, 19 points. Four assists, two rebounds, and two steals here. And our photo of the game here by Matthew Bermudez. This one, a little more of an exaggerated uh, scoring lull as the, the storm went about 10 minutes plus without scoring a bucket yeah it's just not going to happen uh not going to happen to win at least uh, and even though this fever team is young as you can see in the photo there with uh probable probable rookie of the year candidate Aliyah boston um uh, indiana was able to take advantage pretty easily and go on a 17 and 0 run uh, and the storm tried to claw back a little bit as the game after that 17 point run but ultimately they had dug themselves a hole that was way too big um And again, I talked about it when I mentioned the sun, but that's just kind of an instance of the growing pains, and that just can't happen. Um, If you're going to win games there, excuse me, um, but uh, you'd like to think these mistakes are going to be learned from. There was no instance of a lull in their third game of the week June 24th versus the Phoenix Mercury a 97 to 74 win two players of the game here first guard Jewel Lloyd oh, you're getting sick of well probably not of me saying her name 24 points for number 24 seven rebounds three assists and four steals on the day uh our second player of the game forward Joyner Holmes Holmes 12 points six rebounds two assists one steal and three blocks coming into this game she only had eight blocks in her career um and against the Phoenix here, she's got three of them. Our photo of the game by Matthew Brunus is Joyner, who um, really had a big game. I know that uh, Coach Quinn had talked about her length um, and her ability to stretch the floor, uh, space the floor, pardon me, um, being big for Seattle potentially, and especially given the fact that Seattle really only has two bigs, um, and maybe three or four, um, but getting a, a, a third one who can really consistently help out at the power forward will be big. And, and if this in-game is any indication of that, Holmes will be that, um, could be that third option there. So uh, our player of the week, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Jewel Lloyd, over the past three games, twenty averaging 24 point th- 25.3 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, 3.6 assists per game, and three steals per game for the Storm Um, and some accomplishments coming up for Joel. And we'll mention that Um, we do have some injuries. So there were some injury notes for the storm over the course of the past week Um, on the 21st guard, Arela Girantes, Girantes, pardon me, uh, was listed as out versus the fever with a non COVID illness on the 24th. She was listed as probable before the game, but then was available against the mercury with a non COVID illness. Uh, And for Jordan Horson missed that game against the Mercury, that big win against the Mercury with a right shoulder injury. So um, all in all, again, I I talked about it primarily with the losses to the sun and the fever. Um, There's some growing pains, you know, Seattle. (coughs) And it didn't happen in that game against the Mercury. That game against the Mercury was a complete team effort. Um, nine of the 11 players that were able to get in for Seattle found uh, the scoreboard there. They were able to get on the board with a bucket. Um, Seattle was able to play all of their players um, with Areli Girantes, Dulce Mengiadu, and and Jade Melbourne getting the final four minutes and four seconds of the game. Um, Melbourne and Girantes did not, no, Melbourne and Dulce, I don't believe, scored, but I believe everybody else did. Joyner had a big game. Sammy Whitcomb had a big game off the bench. Um, Julian Ezi had nice games as the starters. So that was a complete game. There was really no instance of that. I think Coach Quinn said in the third they did have a little bit in that one, but they were able to adjust on it. But I don't know. It's very interesting with this team to, to say that they really did have a competitive chance against the Sun Um and then against the Fever. That one's more frustrating because you have that 10-minute-plus um. Lowell there, uh, without offensive production. And that's been the big thing is Seattle looking for another score. Uh, is the one as he is the two who's the three. Um, it's yeah. Kia nurse has been here and there, uh, even against the Mercury though. She was kind of, uh, didn't have the biggest game. Mercedes Russell seems to be finding her game a little bit, which is nice to see. Uh, Jordan Horson has been excellent, um, over the course of June, has really been able to find things, but you know didn't have her in that game against the Mercury. There, not sure what her status will be for her the next game tomorrow. Uh, we'll we'll obviously hear from that when we get the status report. But the point being, the point being, before I ramble on, is that Seattle's putting things together. Um, Will it result in a playoff berth? I don't know. That was my big hot take uh, in the offseason. I don't know if that'll pay off, but there are really positive signs with this storm team. you know, this is a mix of players who have been in the WNBA for uh, a different allotted times uh, and some rookies, some rookies as well as young players who haven't necessarily gotten a chance to prove what they can do in this league. Um, So. There are positive signs, is what I will say. I say there's more positive than negative here. The negative is uh, that we, the negative is more bittersweet than bitter than yeah, yeah, bittersweet because we know what the issues are with this team. Uh, it's 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 primarily their presence in the paint. You know, points in the paint's a big issue. Their rebounding's been a struggle over the course of the last two seasons, really, um, and that that kind of consistency scoring. You know, has been the big thing being able to get over that third quarter and and really be able to push um, towards the home stretch there. They they, against the sun and the fever, they weren't able to do that. You know, very emphatically against the fever, they weren't able to do that. So, um, again, positive, more positive than negative. Uh, And that's, I'll continue to emphasize that these growths um, in these individual players is what will be big as we kind of long-term big picture transition to a new era of storm basketball, you know? So, and Hey, if Joyner Holmes can really start to find a, find a rhythm and uses this game as a launch point, that's a big addition there to get more production off of the bench. So um happy with it. Happy with it. Again, I know the players probably weren't happy with either of those losses, but, I see more positive than negative, as I've said here. Um, I mentioned accolades with Jewel Lloyd. Two of them here on June 20th, Jewel was named the WNBA's Western Conference Player of the Week. Uh, the Gold Mambo was named the WNBA, uh, again, Western Conference Player of the Week. Uh, announced on Tuesday in three games over that past week, she averaged 24.3 points per game, 3.7 assists, 3.3 rebounds per game as the Storm went 2-0 during that trio of road games. So... Uh, safe to say another good case for this week. Um, The Eastern Conference Player of the Week was Aaliyah Boston. And then on the 25th yesterday, uh, Drew Lloyd was named an all-star starter um, for the third time in her career. It is her fifth all-star game. Uh, She is leading the WNB in scoring with 25.4 points per game, nearly three points per game better than the next closest player. She tallied 22 points in Saturday's win over Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, scoreboards at 24. That could be wrong. Marking your eighth game this season, scoring 20 plus tied for the most in the league Lloyd also became the first player in WNBA history to score. Oh uh, yeah. Hmm, to score 300 plus points and 40 plus three point field goals through a player's first 12 games in the season. Lloyd scored an impressive 21 points in the last all-star game, uh, which was in Chicago, uh, which is your hometown, uh, tying an all-Star Game record with seven three-pointers. The All-Star Game reserves will be announced on July 1st. Uh, this likely when we'll see Ezzy a Starters are voted on by the fans, players, and media members with the league's uh, coaches selecting the All-Star. Oh, interesting. Okay, so we'll see on that. So, yeah, it'll probably be Jewel and Ezzy. I don't think it'll probably be Ezzy. I hope so. Izzy's been having a great year. Her development's been great to watch, becoming that second option, having some great games uh, in terms of blocks, um, and being big as, a, as one of the few paint presences that the Storm have. So looking ahead here, another three-game week for the Storm, uh, but only play two teams. So that's because they play a home-and-home against the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, June 27th, tomorrow, at the Lynx, is a 5 p.m. Pacific time start time. That is on the CBS Sports Network, Fox 13, not Fox 13 Plus, Fox 13, um, and Amazon Prime Video. Uh, They come back after a day, June 29th versus the Lynx, a 7 o'clock start, which is on CBS Sports Network, Fox 13 Plus, and then Amazon Prime Video. And then they stay at home for a rematch with the New York Liberty on July 2nd for a 3 o'clock start. That is CBS Sports Network. FOX 13+, and Amazon Prime Video once again. So Minnesota uh, has been one of the teams, uh, including Phoenix, that the Storm have been battling as some of the worst in the league, record-wise. And then you play Brenna Stewart, Sabrina Ionescu, John Cole Jones, uh, Courtney Vandersloot, um, and Liberty, who are considered one of the league's super teams. But they they are still figuring things out. Like any quote-unquote super team, they're still figuring things out. I mean, they have an 8-2 and two record, which is tied for the best in the league. Oh, wait, no. That's in their last 10. Pardon me. Um, they are... Oh, they've played less games, though. Yeah. The third most wins in the league behind Las Vegas and Connecticut. So, um, I mean, they're 8-2 and two over their past 10. Yeah. So, it won't be easy. So, we'll see if Seattle can get any revenge. That is a game earlier in the season that they did actually have a fighting chance in. Um. so who knows? Maybe they'll learn from their last game and really be able to bring it to the Liberty in a big upset. No upsets for our Sounders, who did play LAFC again. LAFC sitting at the top of the Western Conference. Uh, this, Somehow, the Sounders are hanging around uh, near the top there. We'll continue on here. Uh, June 21st at LAFC, a one to nothing loss. You know with shutouts, we don't have a player of the match. Seattle conceded in the forty fourth second of the match, not even a minute in they l f c gets one um, Seattle not able to score not be able to answer back and a frustrating one there, um, as they had been the better team when the teams met early in the season up in Seattle um, then they returned home after a few days to play Orlando City, who is in a, a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, but not, not necessarily near what LAFC has been doing. Um, and they they scoreless, scoreless draw. June 24th versus Orlando City, our player of the match, midfielder, Shao Paulo. JP, an 8.2 match rating, two shots, and two chances created, including an 80% passing percentage. The offensive uh, attack continues to falter, and Yamar Gomez Andrade really <laughs> shows how uh, a lot of us felt uh, in this photo by. Our photo of the match here by Anthony May. Um, like the Mariners' hitting struggles, I'll say it again uh, with the Sounders. Uh, I don't want to repeat it too much. The attack, where, where is the attack? You know, in this game, we'll go we'll look at the injury report um, versus Orlando and LAFC. Uh, center back Javier Ariaga uh, suffered an injury when he was on international duty with Ecuador. Um, Midfielder Ethan Double uh, had a right hamstring strain. Midfielder Sota Kitahara had a right quad strain. Those two players uh, likely would have seen time on the bench. Um, and then you are without Jordan Morris, Christian Rodan, and Alex Rodan, who are all on international duty. Uh, so that was against LAFC. Against Orlando, all of those players plus Raul Ruiz. Um, Raul, uh, his father recently passed away, actually. And that's why in this photo here, Uh, With Yamar, you can see the black band around his arm. All of the players for the Sounders, you can see it on Cody Baker as well to the right, uh, had a black band uh, to support for Raul. So hoping, um, excuse me, that Raul is doing all right. Uh, Obviously, you know, a lot of compassion to him and his family right now in this time. Um, But, uh, you know, you could certainly look at the injury report there. You know, you're without Morris, both rolled on, Rui Diaz, uh, some bench players to give you depth and say, yeah, It's understandable that they're going to, you know, see a lack of production, so to say, um, in terms of the attack. But there are still very much capable players on that roster um, for Seattle that did play um, to generate chances. And there were, you know, Seattle actually came out really positively to begin that match in terms of, uh, attack. They look good, uh, on the attack. Uh, in the first few minutes, there were two chances within the first five minutes. You say, Hey, you know, maybe something is different here. Maybe they're awake. Maybe they've got something going. No, no, that, that fell flat pretty quickly. Um, well, not pretty quickly uh, coming out of the second half. There was some stuff there, but then late towards the end of the match, uh, the Sounders were really fighting to not concede, um, you know, because of that. They had a late surge. Orlando did uh, Seattle was kind of lucky to get out of there with a draw. Um, they did have more shots, but they had less expected goals, less possessions, less big chances. Um it's a, yeah, very I mean, but if I I look in the in the chances here in the shots on goal and the shots in general, Seattle had a ton within the Orlando box. And just to continue to have those struggles to have the most generated expected goals in all of MLS, um, to have a ton of veteran players have the same sort of core intact. It's it's it, again. I said it with the Mariners. I don't want to tarpen it too much with the Sounders because we've been talking about this for most of the year. This is internal. This is internal for Seattle. You know, they've got winners on this team. They've got veterans on this team. Uh, Chances are being generated. The defense is playing well. This is their 10th shutout through 20 games. Um, It's on them. It's on them. Like the Mariners, the Sounders don't have a lot they can do in terms of bringing in talent, bringing in a trade, uh, bringing in a player. Uh, ahead of the upcoming window. Um, so it's, it's gotta be internal. It's gotta be internal for Seattle. We've seen it with the Sounders where they've been able to turn things around. Um, but time's ticking, you know, somehow over the course of the weekend you sit still at third in the Western conference, uh, a win right now would put you up there tied for points with teams one and two in the West with LAFC and St. Louis. Um, but it's, it's got to be internal. And, you know, they're winless over their past five games. They haven't had a win in their past five matches. It's got to be internal. Again, it's got to be internal. Don't want to harp on it too much. It's got to be internal. So we will move on here um, with team-related notes. We talked about it a little bit last week already. But <clears throat> excuse me. we'll stamp it down a little bit more. On the 20th, defender Alex Roldan was named to El Salvador's... Um, 2023 CONCACAF gold gold cup roster he is currently already with el salvador and started in both of the squad's friendlies in asia this past week a six to nothing loss to japan on june 15th wow and a 1-1 draw with south korea uh that morning on the 20th uh, the latter of which saw roldan score his second career international goal uh rodan a 26 year old has 20 career caps for el salvador since making his international debut excuse me, in a 2-0 win over Guatemala at the 2021 CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is a match in which he scored his first international goal. So very nice for Alex. Uh, not nice for the Sounders, who are without him. Uh, we look ahead here for our Sounders, who have set an 8-win, 7-loss, 5-draw record, which is good for 29 points. They are 3 points out of first, but they would lose the tiebreaker to LAFC. Um, Right now, they are eighth in all of MLS, so supporter Shield looks more and more out of reach, uh, especially with how good the East has been. Um, and third in the Western Conference, as I've preached already. Uh, July 1st is their next match versus the Houston Dynamo here in Seattle at Lumen Field. That is a 7.30 p.m. start. Yes, another 7.30 p.m. start. Like all of the matches, uh, well, almost all, for the Sounders this year, you can watch this one on Apple TV. MLS season pass. I know there you can have your groans right now about that. So I'll let you do that. Okay. Um, and now we quick little pit stop over to our Kraken here who released their preseason schedule. Today is the NHL awards. Uh, Matty Beniers is up for the Calder trophy, which he will likely win. Uh, coach Haxel is up for the Jack Adams award for the best coach in the NHL. Uh, probably an outside chance for him to win that one just considering who else is up for it, but eh, in another world, he'd probably win it. Um, but, you know, the NHL off season, it feels so short because we're already getting news about preseason. So here I'll put that on the screen for you to look at. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The Kraken will kick off their preseason with two quote unquote split squad games against Calgary on September 25th. One team will go, um, To Calgary with a six o'clock start and the other will be at Climate Pledge Arena with a seven o'clock start. The Kraken will then host the Vancouver Canucks on September 28th at seven o'clock and the Edmonton Oilers on October 2nd at seven o'clock before they finish off with two road contests in Vancouver on October 4th at seven o'clock and 10 against the Oilers in Edmonton on October 6th at six o'clock. Seattle's game in Vancouver on the 4th will be held at the Abbotsford Center, uh, which is the home of their AHL affiliate, the Abbotsford Canucks. All the remaining games will be played at their respective NHL buildings. The 2023-24 preseason will mark the third consecutive season that the Kraken will play their preseason games against the Flames, Oilers, and Canucks. All of them are uh, NHL Western Conference Pacific Division opponents. Those tickets for the games, uh, the home games will go on sale at a later date on Ticketmaster. So keep an eye on that. If you want to join us at CPA, Um, we'll move over here as there's something else. And after the draft, which is uh, upcoming on this week on the starting on the 27th, which is round one, the remaining dates are on the 28th. uh, The Kraken have 10 picks in this year's draft. So I tried to ask Ron Francis, if he planned on making another move this year, Uh, He said, Basically said, we'll see uh, what, what comes up. Um, but the Kraken, their first pick of the draft in the first round, at least in the sense right now, is pick 20. So we'll see which new squid will join the roster. We head over here to the OL Reign, who a nice, successful road trip. Uh, we got news last week about the internationals that will join the U.S. women's national team. We haven't heard the full slate. Probably get some players from Canada. Um, So the rain headed down to uh, Southern California, going back to Cali. It was a a couple songs that use that lyric. Oops. Um, For a battle here against the wave who are in that sort of top five, top six teams in the NWSL. We're all fighting for some of the top spots in the league uh, pretty closely. So it was a big game considering that, you know, it was like a send-off game for the internationals. Um, and, and and seating as well, uh, you know, fighting for points. So a win, though, a big win on the 24th at San Diego, our play of the game forward, Bethany Balser, an 8.9.9 9, uh, match rating with two goals and three shots. Big, big performance by boats here. Uh, the injury report, Angelina continues to be out with that knee injury. She's not on the season ending list anymore. Just Fishlock with a leg injury still. Roosevelt with that leg injury. Uh, Phoebe McClarenin still dealing with that back injury. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Megan Rapino missed with a leg injury as well. So I mean, this was big. This was big. Um, no Megan Rapino. No Just Fishlock. Uh, you're, so you're missing a lot of attack there from standard starters. Bethany Balser steps up. Uh, a great assist from Quinn on the first ball for a header goal. And then uh, Sophia Huerta with her assist. Now 31 assists in the regular season, which is tied for the most in NWSL history with Justin McDonald. We will likely see that record broken this regular season. Um, this was a big win, uh, point blank, just to be able to go down there to San Diego against a Wave team that has, has, has had a successful year this year uh, after kind of struggling like both of the expansion squads, Angel City and San Diego did last year. Um, And so for them to be able to go down there into San Diego without some key players and to really go and and, uh, solidify that, even this was a 1-1 match. So Bethany Balser's goal in this was a game winner as well. Um, Very big, very big in terms of points and in terms of. Sending this off right. We do have some team news. This dropped earlier this morning. The Rains signed five national team replacement players uh, earlier today. A few of them had already spent time with the Rain. Jaden Edwards joined the Rain ahead of the season um, as part of the 32-player preseason roster after playing five years at the University of New Mexico. That's uh, And she's also from Mill Creek. Uh, number two, Kelly Fitzgerald joining the team uh, from HB Colg in Denmark, where the team recently finished first in... Oh, goodness. Bear with me. Uh, Kivendelagen. Delagen. Uh, she's a 28-year-old midfielder. Uh, Kelly Anne Livingstone joined the reign from Denmark after starting in eight games for, uh, again, Fortuna Huring and Kivendelagen. Delagen. Uh, among the eight appearances, she helped the club win five games and earn three clean sheets. Um, she was drafted by... The Gotham in 2022's draft, 24th overall. Uh, Natalie Vigiano, she was the reign's 46th overall pick in this year's draft. She is officially now signed to the club's active roster. Um, Mackenzie Weinert, who's a University of Washington grad, first joined the club as a non roster invitee ahead of the cl- uh, season. Uh, she did appear in the uh, international friendly in the preseason against Club America as a sub in 86 minutes, scoring just three minutes later. Um, Oh, yeah, and that's all five. So, wait. Fitzgerald, Edwards, Livingstone, uh, Vigiana, Winer. Yes. So, very nice. Those are your five national team replacement players <laughs> as the Rain will lose uh, those five to the U.S. Women's National Team. Again, probably more with Team Canada. Um, the Rain sit at a seven-win, four-loss, two-draw record, third in the league table right now, first in the Western Division of the Challenge Cup. Uh, looking ahead... Speaking of Challenge Cup, we'll get back to action with that with the second team in the Western Division uh, on June 28th at the Portland Thorns with a 7.30 p.m. start. That's on Paramount Plus, which is another Challenge Cup match. And then back to regular season action back here at Lumen Field on July 1st versus Racing Louisville is a 12.30 p.m. kick. That is before the Sounders play Houston, and that one is on Paramount Plus as well. We look ahead here. Uh, I talked about seeding and all this stuff with the last two teams. Our Seawolves will continue their postseason. They roll along here um, with a June 24th win versus the Houston Sabercats, a 37-26 to 26 win um, in the first round, the Western Conference Eliminator match against Houston. these two teams had played before, and Seattle was able to come out with a pretty satisfying victory in the regular season. Um, this was a match. This was a tight match. I mean, Seattle really didn't pull away until late with tries um, from J.P. Smith and Rico uh late to really help Seattle pull away. Our player of the match, though, is Adrian Carls. Seven points scored. One try scored. 166 kicking meters, nine ball carries, and 104 running meters. I mean, Seattle... Back to full strength, a really quality first selection lineup for them after rolling out some of their reserves and backups to get some pretty valuable um, experience against San Diego in the final match of the regular season. They come out ready to go in their only playoff appearance at Starfire this year as the next few ones were going to be on the road um, because of seating. A really impressive performance for them to, you know, Houston was going to give them all they got. Houston's had a good roster all year long. um, And to be able to pull away late is big. You know, it shows some of that veteran leadership. You know, there are players here on the Seattle roster that have been a part of the two championships that the team has already won. And if they're going to get to another one, if they're going to get past this Western Conference final, it's going to have to be because of that Western uh, Western, that veteran leadership. <coughs> oh, excuse me, and it's going to be a tough one because they're playing the San Diego Legion, the consummate best team in MLR throughout the course of the year. Uh, if it's if they're gonna if Seattle is going to win this game, it's going to have to be because the veterans step up. They're going to need everybody in this starting lineup to really contribute. Uh, and I think they can do it. I really, I really do think that this team can do it. Uh, not a lot of teams were really able to challenge San Diego this year, um, but I really do think the Seahawks can do it. And especially considering it's a rivalry match. Rivalry matches always have a different air to them. Uh, so I, I, I really have some belief in the Seawolves. That match is July second at the Legion in San Diego with a three o'clock start. That is on FS Two. So it's a big match there for the Seawolves. If they win, they will compete for a third MLR title, their fourth appearance in the title game uh, all time after being there last year and falling to Rugby New York. It's a big one. It's a big one. So we wrap up here, of course, with our Seattle Star of the Week. And because of that big road performance going out there, scoring two goals, um, I I went with Bethany Balser. She leads the league since joining... um, with 12 header goals, uh really big performance to go out there on the road and be able to step up as one of the attackers there. She was actually our player to watch in this match. So to go out there and have this big match for your team. Uh, I know there's some stigma around headed goals, but just to be the main reason that the club was able to go down there and beat one of the top teams in the NWSL really big, really big for both. She is going to be very big for this club. Um, when the World Cup comes around and Seattle Seattle is playing uh, without some of those attackers like Rapinoe, Uh you know, so very big performance by Bethany, uh, just all around excellent. So with that, that will wrap up our June 26th episode of circling Seattle sports on Converge media. Uh, we'll be back next week for July. We'll be in the month of July. It's going to heat up. we are uh, going to need big turnarounds from our Mariners and our Sounders. The Kraken season is slowly creeping up. The rain are going to continue out through it. The World Cup's coming up, so they're going to need big performances from players like Bethany Balser. Until I see you next week, take take care of yourselves, be well, and do whatever you can to make today.